if you feel that way tonight, would you tell him right now? We can't get enough of you, Lord, tonight. We can't get enough of you. We can't get enough of your power. We can't get enough of your name. We can't get enough of your touch, oh God. What an awesome God we serve. Amen. Amen. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Thank you for being here. Thank you, praise team, for leading us into worship this evening. What an honor and a privilege it is to minister the word tonight. I give honor to our pastor, Pastor Landtroop, the entire pastoral team. Um, pray that God blesses them richly and their families and everyone that was able to make it to General Conference. Let's continue to keep General Conference in our prayers. Amen. Amen. If you would turn with me this evening to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We'll read two verses of scripture and I'll let you be seated. 1 Samuel chapter 17 and we'll begin with verse 45 and read just two verses of scripture. Continuing the series that Brother Ogden began a couple of weeks ago on David and Solomon. And continuing, we're going to key in tonight on a very familiar story and passage, um, but hopefully we've got, you know, some nuggets tonight, and I believe that God is going to speak to us as we talk about David and Goliath, amen? And it's always amazing to me to, you know, even when you're mixing series and you're mixing evangelists that come in, and we had, you know, Brother Huntley Ballestero last Wednesday, how if you just look at the way God talks to the church, he, he speaks and he speaks in a specific vein, in a specific way. And I believe that God is doing that tonight as I was going through this lesson. It's like, yeah, we're, we've got a lesson, we've got a series, but God has something for us and he knows what word we need when we need it. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 45, then said David to the Philistine, thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Not only is there a God in Israel, there's a God in America. There's a God that is still in this world today. He's still in control. Amen. Let's look to the Lord one more time before we're seated and hear the word of the Lord this evening. God, we thank you for everything that we've heard and we've felt this evening so far. We give this message to you right now, oh God. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us, Lord, through your word tonight. We know that you're going to do it, God, in our hearts. We just want our hearts to be pliable and open to whatever that you have for us. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this evening. The late 1970s was a very discouraging season for the United States. The U.S. was dealing with what many considered to be a lost war uh, in Vietnam that had cost the country much blood and treasure. The economy was in the midst of a difficult recession coupled with unemployment. Americans were dealing with gas shortages. There were surging prices from inflation probably not nearly so bad here in the 21st century. We felt a little bit, but I don't think it was anything like they felt in the late 70s. In some states, people were only allowed to purchase fuel on odd or even 
num even numbered days based on their license plate. Anybody remember that? Long gas lines. Didn't know if you were going to make it up to the pump. I'm sure there were some people that were some pushing some vehicles to get up to the pump. Then radicals in Iran took more than 50 American citizens hostage, causing uh, not just a little bit amount of embarrassment to the world's superpower, especially when we, you know, sent our special forces in and our special forces got turned away and they failed in their mission. Then President J Jimmy Carter announced the U.S. would be boycotting the 1980 Fall Olympics in Moscow to protest the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. And so a dark cloud seemed to have spread over the American psyche, and they often called it a national malaise. And President Carter described it this way. He said, it is a crisis that strikes at the very heart and soul of our national will. We can see this crisis in the growing doubt of the meaning of our own lives and in the loss of unity and purpose as a nation. The erosion of confidence in the future is threatening to destroy the social and political fabric of the nation. And so it was into this cultural mess that a group of 20 amateur hockey players came together as a team to compete in the 1980 Winter Olympic hockey team at Lake Placid, New York. Few, gave, few, if any, really gave them any chance at that time that they would beat the defending champion team, the Soviets. The Soviet team was older, they were stronger, they were more skilled. Their team was comprised mostly of professional players. They had four gold medal wins in a row and everyone was expecting that they would make it five. They were without debate at the time, the best in the world. And the matchup between these two teams on February 22nd, 1980, seemed to reduce the Cold War down to a sporting event. The American team was outclassed in every category except those intangibles of heart and desire. And it was described by all who followed the matchup as the classic David versus Goliath matchup. Perhaps the situation felt similar in the Valley of Elah when a monster of a man stood towering above and glaring down at the children of Israel. No one wearing an Israeli uniform at the time stood a chance against him, at least not in their own strength. He was a warrior since his youth and was, and, and was in many cases twice the size of those that he challenged. It's a lot of times hard to convert the, the weights and measurements in the King James, but if you look up what Goliath wore in a, a more modern translation, he was wearing hundreds of pounds of armor and carrying weapons that weighed as much. And so he, at nine feet tall, the man must have weighed five, potentially even 600 pounds. He was huge. And so all the money was on Goliath. How could he possibly lose? But across the way, there was a young man that we're going to study a little more this evening. Nothing in his physical stature or background suggested anything other than a quick slaughter at the massive hands of this Philistine. The young man's corpse would soon lie decaying in the valley while the nation continued to be humiliated day and night by the roaring challenges and threats 
of their foe. And Israel could only listen, hang its head in shame, and cower in fear. This was Israel's national malaise. But likely most of us here this evening, we know the end of the story. The U.S. hockey team went on to beat the Soviet Union 4-3 to in what was deemed by Sports Illustrated as the greatest moment in 20th century sports. And David Stone went into Goliath's head like it had been fired from a high-powered rifle. The U.S. and Israel celebrated unanticipated victories and the stories of David have endured for generations and likely it's not going to be nearly as good as David and Goliath, but the U.S. hockey team will be remembered as well. And it was in scriptural times that a king was often a lot more than a nation's military leader and title alone. We see that today in England. The king of England is the leader of their military, but it's really a title. You know, he's not, he's not a, a military man. He doesn't participate in strategy. He certainly isn't going to be participating in any battles, that's for sure. But it was different in Saul's day. It was not uncommon for the ruler himself to be in the heart of the battlefield, fighting with his men, leading from the front by example. So it should come as no surprise that Saul was encamped with his army overlooking the valley of Elah in which uh, Goliath came out twice every day to issue his challenge to Israel's army. And I think a remarkable point here is that Saul himself had not stepped out to challenge Goliath's proposition. Most likely from a natural standpoint, Paul or Saul was the most likely suited and the best uh, physical warrior, at least the largest potentially at the time, to fight on Israel's behalf. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2, that from his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people, speaking of Saul. Among those he led, Saul was a giant. Without a doubt, all the people were looking up to him, anticipating that one day he was just waiting for the right moment, right? He was, he was, he was just marking his time. Yeah, the giant was coming out, but, you know, Saul had a plan. He was their leader, and he was going to be the one to come out and confront the giant of Gath as the champion of their people. But regrettably, this moment marked yet another failure in the sad tale of Israel's first king as Saul cowered with the rest of the men, thus paving the way for David's rise to his moment. And at the time, David was not even old enough to be a part of this conflict. Scholars estimate that he was 13 to 15 years of age. Imagine one of our young people, 13 to 15 years of age, Maybe someone like my son, Nathan. I mean, he's, he's 16. He's about six feet tall, but I don't know. It would take the Lord putting him out on a battlefield against Goliath, that's for sure. Now, he, Nathan would tell you he, he'd go give it a shot, but 13 to 15 years old. The only reason that David was there on that fateful day was because his father was concerned for the well-being of his other sons uh, who were in the army. So it had to be exciting for David who typically took care of the sheep and the goats to be relieved from his task and to be headed toward the site of this showdown between Israel and her avowed enemy, Philistia. No doubt he was anticipating the sound of armed conflict and arousing victory by his nation. But after arriving, his reunion with his brothers was cut short when the terrible voice 
with which it, all the rest of the army had been listening to for days, and they were all too familiar with at this point. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 8 says, Choose you a man. This was the voice of Goliath ringing out. And let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. For 40 days, 40 days, Goliath had harassed the Israelite warriors, heaping shame on them, since none dared to accept his fight to the death, winner-take-all challenge. And David, he's, he's there, he's looking around like, I mean, I, I'm assuming he probably didn't know that this had been going on for over a month now. And he's looking around and say, hey, who's going who's gonna to go out? He's thinking this is probably the first time that Goliath has issued this challenge. And David's like, hey, who's going? <laughs> who, who's going to go out and take on this pagan? But all he heard were the promises of the rewards that would be given to the one willing to do so. So David was indignant, saying to the soldiers around him, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? There was something that David felt in a fear and, and, and a, uh, a righteous indignation that he had a, uh, a loyalty and, and a protection uh, towards his God and, what, and his faith in God. And as David repeatedly expressed his conviction that it was the cause and not rewards that should compel a warrior to go. Someone carried word to King Saul that there appeared to be someone that was willing to accept Goliath's challenge. And so Saul sent for him immediately. And you can only imagine Saul's disappointment when instead of, you know, one of his maybe previously overlooked top warriors coming in to fight Goliath, he found only a kid with no combat experience. The harpist that maybe he remembered would come and play for him during his times of mental anguish. So David expressed his willingness to fight, but Saul was immediately dismissive. Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But David assured Saul of his experience in conflict in other arenas and expressed his unwavering confidence in God's faithfulness to grant him victory. And whether or not Saul believed it, at the very least, it appeared he had great doubt in David's ability. At this point, he was getting desperate. He had nothing to lose. So he dispatched David to the battlefield despite his fears that he wouldn't be able to accomplish the mission. So something I want you, everyone, to think about this evening is, has someone questioned your ability to fulfill God's purpose in your life at any time? Or even his calling on your life? I know that there have been times that it has, that has certainly been the case in my life. How did you respond? How did you feel? Many think that David's defeat of Goliath is a story of personal courage in the face of overwhelming odds. The popular moral of the story is this. Get out there, face down your giant, because the heroically courageous always come out on top. But that's not at all what this story 
is about or the moral of this story. While it's true that David was courageous and courage is an essential, wonderful virtue, but when David faced Goliath, that courage was derived. It came from something else. It was being empowered by something else. What fueled David's courage was his confidence and his faith in God's promises and God's power to fulfill them. Brother Ogden taught a couple weeks ago and in the preceding chapter in 1 Samuel chapter 16, Samuel the prophet had already informed David that God had chosen him to be the next king of Israel and anointed him with his brothers around him. And David's deep faith in God and the promises of God on his life gave him a deep source of courage when everyone around him questioned his ability as he prepared to step into God's will for his life. King Saul and his men were all obsessed, though, with the source of their problem, where David was fixated on the source of his solution. And so, in a gesture of kindness toward David, maybe just to kind of contribute something to the fight, maybe to ease his own guilt, Saul offered David the use of his armor. And it's likely that as a king, there was nobody in Israel's army that had better quality armor than Saul. But given Saul's significant height uh, and his size and David's youth, it kind of leaves us with this mental image of David stumbling around in oversized, unfamiliar armor. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 17, 38, And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put on a helmet of brass upon his head, and he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. David understood that when you're confronting an enemy for the first time, that is not the time to try something that has never been tried before. I want you to take a moment to consider challenges that you're currently facing or may encounter in the future. What kind of of weapons are you going to need to overcome your trial? Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Verse 10, Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And if you're anything like me, you may have thought to yourself, there is no way I would ever have the courage to face a giant nine-foot-plus-tall warrior like Goliath. But I would submit to you this evening that we're being called to a spiritual battlefield where evil spirits and powers of darkness that make even a man like Goliath look like a toy soldier. But God's not asking us to do it by ourselves, with our own skills, with our own strength, with our own ability. But just as King Saul offered to clothe David in his personal armor, the God of the universe, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, is offering today to clothe each and other one of us with his personal armor. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench 
all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. It's no secret what weapons and what armor we need to be familiar with. It has been laid out for each and every one of us, and God has provided us with everything that we need to be victorious overcomers. But if we don't want to be stumbling around in unfamiliar armor in the time of crisis like David was in Saul's armor before he went out to meet Goliath, we must diligently train and prepare ourselves for the fight. Prayer, fasting, the Word of God, other spiritual dis disciplines, they have to be familiar to us before we face that moment of real crisis where there is a giant that demands their use in our lives. We have to have already proved the value and effectiveness of our spiritual weapons in our daily lives. There's always going to be times when our selfish nature looks at the magnitude or even the risk associated with a task before us and thinks someone else is probably more suited and better able to take on this task than me. I know over the course of my 20-year military career, I can't think of a time when I went into any job where I felt like I was qualified enough to take on the mission that I was being tasked to accomplish. But the military machine understands that leadership and expertise is best developed in stressful and often uncertain environments. I know that I'm not, I've been offered an amazing job when I retire from the military in a couple years. I know for a fact I am not qualified for this job. It, it, it's just absolutely not the case. But the Lord has coordinated it. The Lord has ordained it. The Lord has worked it all out. I didn't go look, looking for it. I didn't go ask for it. It came to me and it was confirmed through prayer. And I believe it's the will of God. And so I'm walking into that in a couple of years knowing that God is going to empower and he's going to equip me with everything that I need through him to accomplish the task and his will in my life in that position. David could have easily justified not getting involved by saying, I'm too young. Conversely, many people justify an action by saying, I'm too old. I'll never forget a couple of years ago a conversation with an older gentleman that I had and him, it was at an altar service. I had been praying with him, and, and he was weeping with regret as he told me how God had called him to ministry, but he had not answered the call when God called him. And so he was just tore up with remorse and guilt. And I was thinking just as pastor was preaching on Sunday and giving the call to the altar, and I said to him something to the same sense of, you're still here. We're all still here. There's still time. Yes, you know, maybe you missed the call at the time that you needed to answer the call, but you're still here, and God still has a work for you, and God still has a purpose for you, and you can still do what you can where you are with what you have to answer the call of God on your life. That, I think that's one thing that's so amazing about God is we can make so many different mistakes and, and, and fall so many times. I mean, you look at David. I mean, you talk, I take great uh, admir admiration for David, and he's a great encouragement to me and a hero to me because maybe not necessarily for all the great feats that he accomplished and the faith that he had, but that 
throughout the terrible mistakes that he made, that he was able to write things like, create in me, O Lord, a clean heart and renew a right spirit uh, within me. And that was what made him really special to God was that ability to just get back up and keep going and, and just get back on track and walk in the place and in the way that God wanted him to walk. There's a quote attributed to Benjamin Franklin that I heard a few years ago. It really hit home with me at the time. I guess I was maybe, you know, coming into my 40s, you know, that kind of midlife crisis kind of area that people talk about. But this quote hit me. It said, many people die in their 20s, but aren't buried until their 70s. They learn most of what they're going to learn, and they experience most of what they're going to experience early in life. And then they just exist with each day looking like the day before. And as I crossed into my 40s, I thought, that can't be my story. Because I didn't do very much as a teenager. I didn't do much at all. I was pretty much a complete bum as a teenager and early in life. And it took me a while into my 20s to get my feet under me. And so I made a decision. I want to do more for God in the second half of my life than I did in the first half. I want to be a better father. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better neighbor, a better friend, a better minister. I'm not going to focus on the source of my problems. We can all do that no matter where we are in life. But I'm going to focus on the God who has promised me that he'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. He's always going to be the source of my solution if I just walk with him and walk in communion and sync with him. The truth is, no matter what stage of life that we're in, you or I might just be the someone that God is selecting to be the first one into the fight. And we must be willing to respond to God's voice, even when everyone around us is unwilling or unable to go. And it's one thing to say that we will do it, but it's another to follow through. David no sooner received King Saul's authorization to proceed into the battle than he started preparing. He did not immediately and impulsively rush out toward Goliath, but he took some time for reflection and planning. And first, he armed himself with some old and familiar trusted tools. 1 Samuel 17, 40, and he took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even in a scrip, and his sling was in his hand. These items were anything but unusual for someone in David's line of work. Shepherds would routinely need to protect their sheep from beasts and from thieves who would attempt to steal the sheep. So a prudent shepherd would be armed with weapons for that purpose. And there was no telling how many hours that David spent out in the pasture, in the wilderness, with that sling, shooting it at targets, protecting his, uh, his flock. And some would say that never, David never dreamed of develop, that these skills that he was developing would someday turn the tide of Israel's future. But I like to think that David dreamed about being the people's champion. I know a lot of us as young men, we dreamed about being the football star, the, you know, whatever it was that interested us at the time. We dreamed about being number one. 
But those dreams took on a whole new dimension after Samuel anointed David as Israel's future king. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 16 that Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him being David in the midst of his brethren and the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So I think that after Samuel uh, anointed David, even though that prior to that David certainly had a walk and a relationship with God, that once that anointing oil hit his head, David walked with a confidence and faith in God like never before, believing that God would never break his promises to him. And if a giant like Goliath made himself an obstacle to God's promise that God would flick him away with just a stone from a brook. And so we just never know what we're doing in life. We can probably, all of us here this evening, a little bit older, we can look back over the journey and we can see things that at the time made no sense to us, you know, from a perspective of what God was going to do in us in the future. But we can see that, you know, that as we walked with God, that God prepared us along the way. He knows what he has for us, and we just have to trust that he knows what's best for us. So on more than a few occasions in the course of minding the sheep, David was able to put his talents to practical use. And this is what he related to Saul when he was explaining how he was confident enough in explaining his courage in going out to fight Goliath. Verse 34 of 1 Samuel 17, And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by the beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And one could even argue that David's encounter with the lion and the bear were even more dangerous than his bout with Goliath. I'm not quite sure which one that I would want to tangle with. Um, I, I looked up in the past, you know, a lot of times, you know, people think, ah, it was just a small lion, you know, it wasn't that big, or it was just maybe a, a little bear that came to take over. She, I don't think that was the case. The, the lions where David, uh, where David had kept the sheep, there aren't actually any lions there anymore, but uh, the lions that were there were actually one of the most ferocious breeds of lions that were in the world at the time. And so, I have no reason to doubt that if David was willing to go out and fight a nine-foot uh, Philistine giant, that he would have taken on a full-grown lion that was coming after one of his flock. That was that loyalty, that, that protectiveness that David had. He's like, you're not going to come take what's mine. You're not going to take my sheep. You're not going to take my pride. You're not going to take my faith in God. You're not going to take my army. He stood up for his cause. But in this fight with Goliath that would certainly test anyone's faith, David drew on his past victories for courage. Revisiting and testifying of those moments when God came through for us is profoundly strengthening. My dad was here, you know, a, a, few, a couple of months ago. You might remember him. He's about 78 years old, probably weighs about a buck 35. Wonderful man of God. 
um, used of God, has a relationship with God. But, you know, one night, just recently, a couple of weeks ago, he got up in the middle of the night. Lights were all out. He's heading to use the restroom. And he doesn't remember how it happened, but he slipped and fell. And he lives, he lives in a mobile home, but he's, the fall was so loud, and this is the middle of the night that this happened, that his neighbor that was right next door to him heard it, and the neighbor across the street heard it, and they came to check on him. So 78-year-old guy in pretty decent health, but you know, not much protecting him, that's for sure had neck surgery, you know, where doctors have told him that, you know, if, if you take, you know, the wrong kind of fall, you're going to be paralyzed for the rest of your life. And so he takes this fall that's heard, you know, 50, 60 yards away in the middle of the night, awakens the neighbors to where they're going to come to see what's going on. And I told him, I'm like, dad, that is a fall that probably would kill most people your age, especially in, you know, with kind of some of the the, the physical challenges that you have. But he got up, walked to the door. He was a little bit dazed, but the Lord completely protected him in that moment. You know, just a little bit of a cut above his eye was the only thing that there was to show for this incredible fall that he took in the middle of the night. And so that's, those are the kinds of things, you know, even if you're not even awake enough to call on the name of Jesus, if we're walking with him, if we're in covenant with him, he's watching out for us. And when we reflect on and we recount God's healing and protection in our past, it bolsters and it strengthens our, our, our faith to pray for healing today. When we remember God's previous provision, we can trust that he's going to provide for our needs today. When we testify of God's demonstrations of power at different points in our lives, we build both our confidence and that of those that hear us. And David was clearly not the biggest or the strongest option for Israel, but he was willing to use what he had, which was a slingshot and a testimony. You may not be the most talented option. I know that I'm not the most talented option, there are people that are better looking. There are better people that are smarter. There are people that are wealthier, that have more singing talent, speaking ability, whatever it is, fill in the blank. Someone is going to have more experience. But if you're willing to use what God has given you in God's service, there is absolutely no limit what God can do. I believe that with all my heart. It was obvious to anyone present that David was not going to win his contest in his own strength, but it was equally obvious as well to those around him that he was trusting God to empower what he had to offer. And I think that even in his, his, his backslidden state, Saul still knew that. Saul still recognized the power and the anointing of God. And that could very well be why he said, there may be something here, and sent David into battle. So armed and prepared, David did not hesitate. He ran to the battle. He moved with purpose and intention directly toward Goliath. And there are times we certainly need to be cautious, but there are also times when it's time to re respond. When, when the commanding officer says, it's time to go, in the military we go. When God says, it's time to go, it's time to put one foot after another 
and move towards the fight. And while Goliath was an impressive physical specimen, he was also quite skilled at using frightening speech. And a lot of times it's that speech that those bullies use to try to push the people that they're coming after into a corner. He was threatening to feed one's adversary's bones and flesh to the beasts and birds. And that could cause anyone's knees to tremble. But clothed with confidence in God, David didn't even hesitate. In fact, he came back even stronger at Goliath with his own challenge on even a grander scale. And this was our text, which we read in the King James. I'll read it again in the NLT. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. I wish that the, the people of Israel, I'm not sure, maybe that the Israeli soldiers could hear David say that. But I know, I mean, we've, we've had a, a former president that would talk kind of like that. Our last president did. I don't know if he could have followed through, but he, at the very least he said, bring it. You better not touch our soldiers. You better not touch our stuff. Because if you do, I will reduce your country to a smoldering pile of rubble. He certainly knew how to, to voice it, at least. That's for sure. So the details of what happened next are very familiar to most of us. I believe that when David released that stone, it was like a baseball player that just, you know, when you're swinging the bat and if you've played baseball before and you just know that at the right moment you just hit the sweet spot and you know that that ball is going as far as your physical ability could possibly drive it. It had to have been an incredible feeling for David on that day because remember the spirit of the Lord was upon him. I don't think it was just, I think he felt something. I think he knew that when he released that stone, something special was happening. And so it took a God-directed flight from David's sling right into Goliath's forehead. And he fell on his face, and David picked up Goliath's sword, which was probably about four sizes too big for him, and cut off the giant's head just as he had promised. And the victory that day became very contagious. First Samuel 17:51 says, "And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. All of Israel celebrated when one man demonstrated unshakable confidence in God's power to deliver. His triumph became theirs, just because one man at one moment in time decided to he was going to have faith in God, he was going to exercise that faith. And the result changed the course of his, his entire country's destiny. And we're going to have God-ordained moments in our own lives when, by our faith in God, we can also win great victories. I'm sure that if we opened this up this evening for testimonies, we would hear them for many hours into the night. And sometimes those moments can be rather frightening. 
But God has promised he's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. We can rest assured that when God directs us to confront an enemy before us, he's going to give us victory on which one day we can look back and say, God was there. I, I wasn't sure how he was going to do it, but God do it. He did it this way. He, he surpassed all the expectations and understanding that I could ever have, but God was there and he did it. But that assurance is not found. It's not found in our natural abilities, our human skills. But in those realms, we're most certainly the underdog. But in the realm of the spirit with, in which we war, and I know even as spirit-filled believers, that can be at times fearful. But we've been made more than conquerors. Just as Goliath was slain, so will every enemy that opposes our walk with God, as long as we maintain our confidence in the one who's never failed. And I'll close with this last story. No one would have selected this young man as a hero. He had little to nothing going for him. He was born to a large, poor family in Texas, eking out an existence as sharecroppers, when he was just a young boy, his father abandoned the family. His mother passed away when he was still in his teens. And so in order to help the remaining family survive, this young man dropped out of school in the fifth grade to help support his family and take care of his brothers and sisters. And then the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. And though he wanted to join the military after that happened, even though his sister helped him by falsifying some documents regarding his birth so that he could enlist, he was rejected by the Army, the Navy, and the Marine Corps, all initially because he was underweight. They said, dude, you're not even big enough to get into the military right now. Finally, the Army agreed to take this baby-faced soldier who seemingly had nothing to offer into its ranks. This young man's name was Audie Murphy, and their decision proved to be a wise man. He rose to the rank of first lieutenant in the Second World War. He saw combat in multiple countries in the European theater and distinguished himself in numerous battles. And over the next few years, he became the most decorated American combat soldier. He won every single combat award for valor at the time and was also decorated for heroism by France and Belgium. And perhaps most notably, he single-handedly held off a company of German soldiers for an hour at the Colmar Pocket in France in January 1945. And then he led a successful counterattack while wounded and out of ammunition. For these actions, he received the Medal of Honor, the highest military award for valor. And when asked after the war, why he had seized the machine gun and taken on an entire company of German infantry, he replied, well, they were killing my friends. Audie was 19 years old at the time. No one would have, uh, have selected Audie Murphy to be a hero. They, Marines wouldn't even uh, have taken him in as a Marine. Navy wouldn't have taken him in as a sailor. The Army was like, all right, fine. You can go. We'll make you a cook or something. 
No one saw his potential. But no one saw the potential in David either. Even his own father, as was talked about when Samuel was going to anoint him, didn't even invite him to the party. And perhaps few people, maybe even yourself, see what you can be. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't have an incredible plan for your life. There's a spiritual Comer pocket. There's a spiritual valley of Elah awaiting our willingness to rise to the moment and make a difference. And we can do it not because I'm great or because you're great, but because God is great. Not because you're strong, but because you trust in the God who is. Not because you have the ability, but because you walk in sync with the one who can do all things. Amen. Let's stand together. I'll close with this question, and then we'll pray together in closing. I want you to think tonight about one giant in your life that you've been avoiding, but you know that God wants you to conquer. It may not even be a giant. It, you might be a little bit farther behind than that. Maybe it's just a lion. Maybe it's a bear. Maybe we've got to work our way up to that giant. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's something in your life that God, you, you maybe you know that you're struggling with, with that God has talked to you about, and he wants to help you get through it. What practical steps can you take this week to take the battle to that lion or to that bear or to even that giant that's in your life this week? I know that God's going to help us. He's going to grant us the courage to do what he wants us to do, even when we're unsure, even when uh, we're a little bit afraid, even when we're unsure of ourselves. He's going to be there for us. Amen. Let's pray together in closing. Lord, we're so thankful tonight for your word. We're so thankful tonight, oh God, that you are fighting for us, God. We're so thankful tonight, Lord, that we've got our faith and our trust in you, that you have given us the name of Jesus. We know that there is salvation and strength in none other name but the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for each and every individual here tonight, oh God, that you would speak into their lives, that you would give them that godly, that Holy Ghost courage, Lord, that realization that the spirit that you have put within us is your spirit, Lord, and you're fighting for us, and you're fighting through us, O oh God, that we are your hands and your feet, and it is you, O oh Lord, that are undergirding us tonight, O oh God, in everything that we say or do, if we will but just submit ourselves and our lives to you tonight, O oh God. We love and we praise you, God, for what you're doing in each and every life that is here tonight. I pray a blessing over each and every person. I pray a blessing, Lord God, continually over our pastor and our leadership team and all that are at the general conference this evening. Go with everyone tonight, we pray, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Amen. Thanks for being here tonight. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.